Hi everyone, my name is Kim C. I'm a university fiction teacher specializing in beginning, intermediate, and advanced fiction, and this is my one-woman Stephen King podcast called The Year of Underrated Stephen King. On this show, I prioritize the underexplored, underreviewed, underdiscussed, and downright underappreciated Stephen King works. But every now and again, Kim C. and her social butterfly nature loves to knock on doors and see who can come out to play. And lucky, lucky, lucky me, two incredible gentlemen rode their bikes to my side of town to be my constant reader interview guests. Coinciding with the recent and rare blue moon we just had, this is a very special blue moon double episode release highlighting not just one, but both hosts of the Kingslingers podcast. Scott Daly, and Matt Freeman. Yeah, you guys, I'm freaking out. I've been freaking out for weeks knowing that this was happening, that it happened, and now I've just pressed the release button. I'm going to burst. I'm so excited you guys are with me today because this is amazing, pure and simple. I can't believe this is real life and on the eve of King's new novel, Holly, no less. The magic is absolutely palpable. Okay, composure. My first guest is half-owner of the Doof Media Company and one half of the Kingslingers podcast, which is an incredibly brilliant Stephen King podcast where I go to be a student again. It's that good. But you know this. I digress. Mr. Scott Daly is a longtime King fan and has read and digested 98%, if not more, of King's written and screen-adapted work. He's a bona fide Dark Tower connoisseur who lured his college friend Matt into following the beam and cataloging the entire journey chapter by chapter. They are now in season three of their amazing show, and a few weeks back, Scott sat down with me for the best interview in all of Midworld. I was so nervous and excited that I completely forgot to introduce Scott properly at the start of the episode, so I hope this makes up for it. Let's get it, guys. Welcome Scott Daly from Kingslingers to the show. All right, everyone, super special constant reader guest today. Get ready for someone who's absolutely doing the Lord's work. This is Scott Daly from Kingslingers. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so I'm so excited. Oh my god, me too. I <laughs> oh, I always feel this is like the roller coaster drop and I'm like this is happening. <laughs> any any opportunity to to nerd out about Stephen King for a, a couple hours is is one I'm going to happily jump on. Same Z's. So thrilled to have you here. I'm a huge fan of what you and Matt do. So this is just amazing.com. <laughs> we are going to jump in with some constant reader questions. I might popcorn around a little bit. Sure. But let's start with the very first question we must all reflect on at some point, And that is the very first Stephen King title you read. And how old were you? Oh, man, this is such a tough one, because I feel like I have like six conflicting memories of this. I, th- I think I've gotten it down to what I think is the actual correct first story. And I think it's 
my dad not really into horror at all like never really read horror books but my mom like loves it and would read them constantly and so all the Stephen King books in in my house were my mother's and I as a really little kid I really didn't read them I was just always kind of fascinated by the covers which I feel like is a story that like every Stephen King fan says that like as a kid they were just fascinated by the covers but I think I've worked out the timeline it was I was about 11 years old and it was right when Desperation and the Regulators came out and for whatever reason, 11 year old me was just endlessly fascinated, not even not just by the covers of those two novels, but by like the concept of layering two novels with two different authors on them next to each other and seeing that cool image where, you know, King is playing up the fact that he's written a Bachman book while everyone knows that he's Bachman. And so for whatever reason, I, I picked up one of those two. And so the first King book I read was a Bachman book called The Regulators, which is which is a wild thing. And it's a very, it's a very wild book. It's a very wild book to be your first, first Stephen King experience. But it was also like, I never read, I never really read like an adult book before. I'll call it that. I, I, you know what I mean? And I was, I was kind of just fascinated by it. And I, and from there, you know, I, I didn't read the dark tower till a little later, but from there I, you know, spread out and explored other King books. I think it was probably one I read not too long after that, because I remember I was older than the Losers Club, but not too much older. So I was probably like 13 when I read it for the first time. But yeah, no, it was it was Richard Bachman's The Regulators. And I don't even think I read Desperation right after that, which you think I would, but I, I don't think I did. Oh, that's wild <laughs> and really unique. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Do I don't know sh- why. This is the choices that you make as a kid. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was obsessed with the Misery cover, the 1986 mm, yeah, original. I yeah. would look at that as a little kid all the time, just fascinated by it. And for me, like the in, the Insomnia one for me, for whatever reason, I think it's just because it's like, it's not even like there's nothing on it. It's like a boring 90s cover that just has Stephen King's name in big letters and then the name Insomnia. But it was just like, it was a huge book and like it was very bright. There was a bright red and white in that contrast. I just remember sitting on our bookshelf and being fascinated by that. Oh man, we were just all lured in like moths. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you someone, Scott, who has read everything in the King Canon, or where are you on your journey? Yeah. So I I have, with a small caveat to that, is I haven't read Fairy Tale yet, the novel that just came out last year, and that's because. On our show, we're doing our third season, and that is going to be our last book. We're kind of doing a King book through each decade in our third season, and that's the one we have slotted for the the 2020s. Um, And since that's the only one I hadn't read yet, we're kind of toying with the idea of either reversing the roles between Matt and I, where he reads it first, and then I'm experiencing while we go, or just both doing it like a fresh experience thing. And we haven't decided on that yet, so I've kind of decided just to hold off on reading it until we make that decision. I have still... (laughs) like a year left before we have to do that because we take so long with these books. So that's one I haven't read. And then the only one I other one I haven't read is Rage, which was the one that is the Bachman book that he's pulled from print. And that was like when I was doing, I think back in 2017, I started doing like a sequential reread slash read for the first time. And I hadn't read that one yet. And like I made the decision at that time, basically to just be like, ah, well, if he doesn't want people to read it, I, I just, I just won't read it. So I've never read that one. So those are the only two, everything else he's written. I've, I've read. Yeah. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm not there yet, but yeah. Rage is so far down the list. I'm like, mm-hmm. don't care. We'll save that for way, way later. If, if <laughs> like if needed. Yeah. And I'm not like, 
ever like saying I will never read it. It's just like it's not something you can easily pick up in the stores, right? You have to go to a, a secondhand store and, and get it there. And I don't know. It just seems like it's it's a lot easier to dishonor his wishes if he says, I don't really want people to read that anymore. Um, <laughs> So having read everything in King's Canon, which I love, that's my goal. I want to get there. Someday I'll be a real boy. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, my next question is, looking at all of King's work, are there any titles that you hate or you're just not a fan of, but you notice they get so much love and, oh, no. vi- <laughs> and vice versa? Are there titles that you just adore them, but they do not land well with other readers. <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna get me in trouble. No, um, there's there's been a title that has gotten like very popular recently, or at least in my estimation, recently amongst like the King content creation community, and that is Stephen King's Revival, um, which is is a book that I don't love, and uh, the people that love Revival are very passionate about it. So I'm I'm scared I'm scared of what they'll say to this, but. <laughs> I think it's a decent book with a killer ending and that it's it's like the poster child of like land the ending and people will forgive you for everything because it has an incredible, wonderful ending that I love so much. And then like the, the rest of the book is just it's good. It's not great. Like I I wasn't blown away with the book until the ending. And so that's that's kind of the one that I feel like I, when I feel like I hear people discussing revival, I just kind of hide in the corner and don't say anything because <laughs> I don't I don't want to take anything away from him but I just think it's a it's a good book with a with a killer ending that's that's all it is for me on the other side of the coin I see I feel like the weird thing about King is you're like convinced that you're the only one that really loves a book and then like you see someone's list they, it's like their top book like I think the the wild thing about Stephen King is even a book like the Tommyknockers which is a book that I I don't really love that much I think it's okay in parts and then really messy in other parts is a book that I'll see it. Some people will list it as their number one King book. And I'm just like, wow, isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that this book that I, I don't really like at all is someone's favorite book of this author. But the one that always jumps to mind for me, was a book that I had never read until I did this reread project, which was Duma Key, which was a book that, you know, I hadn't heard much of. I didn't really have a lot of expectation going into, and I was just kind of blown away by it. I was blown away by the things he's doing with it. I was blown away by it as like an examination of creating art post-accident, which is a part of King's life that I was just really fascinated with, you know, from Dark Tower through everything else he was writing in the early 2000s, writing from the perspective of a man recovering from a serious accident. Like all that stuff just really, really fascinated me. And I was just couldn't believe that this book was this good and I was enjoying it this much. And I felt like no one talks about it very much. So that's one of the big reasons I put this on our our third season. We're definitely going to spend a lot of time with this book because I I love it to death. Pavlovian response for Duma <laughs> Key. I'm obsessed. I am oh, obsessed. Great. I think it is one of King's most perfect gothic beach novels. I'm so glad you like it and you found magic in it because you're right. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it. And yeah, yeah. It is my holy mission, my manic street preacher mission to get it mainstream. Like, that is the hill I will die on. I'm so <laughs> thrilled that you like it. Oh, my God. That mm. makes, that brings a lot of joy. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that, like, I, you know, I've read it. I've read it for fun, you know, twice now, actually, because I went back and read it again. And I, f- I feel like there's always, like, in my mind, I have, you know, reading them for fun and then reading them for the show are just two 
incredibly different, unique experiences because you're just, you have to, it's not even that you're having to turn your brain on because hopefully you have your brain on every time you're reading, <laughs> but it's just like, you're paying attention to different things. You're, I don't know, for me, it's, it's, it's always kind of a less emotional experience when I'm reading analytically because like, I'm not allowing myself to really take in the emotion of the scene or, or if I am, it's like, I'm immediately investigating. It's like, oh, this made me feel this way. I have to figure out why I'm feeling this way. Um, because the book is doing something very specific here and I have to figure that out. And so I'm really looking forward to this book to really diving into it analytically because it worked on me on that emotional level. It was, it was a fast, entertaining read. And I know there's some, there's a lot of stuff going on in there that I think makes it that. Um, and I'm really interested in, in both diving into that and maybe answering the question of like why it's not a more popular book of his. Is it just that like from a setting perspective or a style perspective, it kind of veers away from his usual stuff? Is it, I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions, but I'm really into, into figuring it out. Oh, I love it. I cannot wait to hear your analysis on it because I agree. It's such a great pick to be picked apart and mm -hmm. to be dissected. My hypothesis is that the ending is too slow of a burn for constant mm. readers, perhaps. Sure. So, but yeah, I think if we just change the perspective on it and be like, this is the best book ever, they're just going <laughs> to start loving it automatically. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, and you know, it, it's it's really funny because it was one of those ones when I, I put it on the schedule for for our third season, I was expecting a lot of like, what is this doing on here? Especially since I think that it occurs in the same decade as revival maybe that's not true no i think it, no it's in the next one so it, it was one of those ones where i expected a lot of people to say like why'd you pick that and there was a little bit of that but there was also a little bit of oh doom a key thank you someone's like and so yeah there's a lot there's a lot of us out there there's dozens of us out there that are really really excited about doom a key so that warms my heart because that's the, the that's a top five thing for me might even uh, be like a top three so oh, awesome. that just brings me so much joy to know like it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm manifesting it. I love that. I'm so awesome. glad. So glad that we've got some eyes on it. More people yeah. to chat about it. My next question is asking about particular characters in the King Canon, like our little buddy Danny Torrance got a sequel with Dr. Sleep. Is there anyone who you feel is deserving of a sequel or a prequel or greater spotlight, kind of like our girl Holly Gibney? <laughs> who would that be for you? Oh, that's a really great question. It, it's it's funny because my initial reaction to that question is, no, nobody. I like when stories end and I like to move on from them. But then like at the same time, I really loved Dr. Sleep. I loved the, the book. And then I was just absolutely in love with what Mike Flanagan did with the film, which I thought was incredible. So like, that's a thing that where I would have, if you would ask me before that book came out, is it a good idea to return to The Shining and return to Dan Torrance? I would have been like, no, absolutely not. But um, but he he proved me wrong. So I, I like that we're doing more with Holly Gibney. I've, I've really enjoyed that character. I think the his kind of foray into, into the crime fiction stuff in the 2010s was really, really fascinating to me. I didn't love every single one of those books. Like I think Finders Keepers of the Bill Hodges trilogy is my least favorite, but I, I really like the character of Holly and I'm, I'm liking that we're still going to do more with her. Let me think, let me think here. What a, I think like I'm so torn on the talisman and black house because on the one hand, like we, we spent a lot of time on those two books last year. And on the one hand, like I think kind of some of the weaknesses in those stories really rose to the forefront for me. 
But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like there's just a little bit more with Jack Sawyer and I'm a little bit bummed that I don't think we're ever going to get to see any more with him and we're going to do anything else with him. But like the end of Black House is is such that like it could be a, a definitive ending for him. And you could say, oh, he's going to be happy and over here now and that's fine. But there there seems like there could have been more there as well. So I don't know. That's kind of a half answer. But I, I, I do wonder if uh, Straub and, and King had gotten together one more time to write that third novel that I know they talked about for years, um, what that would have looked like. I think that the most fascinating thing to me on this this question is the idea of doing any of the Dark Tower characters is not something that ever would occur to me. Like I, I see people all the time, you know, on on Reddit and in communities talking about how they want more Dark Tower, more Dark Tower, more Dark Tower. I, I love the world and I would happily read anything that is written in it. I don't want King to write anything more of any of the characters in that story. Like, I think we're good. I think we're good there. I think, you know, I feel like we're in this weird part in culture these days where we just really don't like things to end ever. I mean, we just had an Indiana Jones movie again for the first (laughs) time in 20 years or something, and we just can't let things end. And I do remember like the announcement earlier the year where the television show Succession on uh, HBO announced that it was going to be their last season. And everyone's freaking out. Like, why would you end it? What? It's at the best. It's like, well, because sometimes things have to end. And I feel like King wrote the end of his Dark Tower series. And I just don't want to see him pick up those characters anymore. I think he got to a place where he was happy with them, or maybe not even happy with them, but a place where it was where he felt right. And so, yeah, my answer is not going to be like Roland or or Eddie or Jake or, or Susanna or any of that stuff. I think they're they're good. I, I enjoyed my time with them and I will enjoy it again and again and again on my rereads, but I don't want any more of them. It's fascinating. So good. Now I'm torn with my next question. So because you mentioned the, the golden word, words of Dark Tower, <laughs> um, I have a question that's so open and free and it could go a thousand different directions. And it's simply, what are your thoughts on the Dark Tower? <laughs> It's a masterpiece. It's a messy masterpiece. And those are my favorite kinds of masterpieces. Like, I don't think I'm not sure if I would ever like call it as a series, like the best written stuff King has ever done, which feels like it's it's a, a dig at it. But it's not. It's it's this thing. I think one of the things we used, one of the words we used a lot was it's an amalgamation of his thing of his career. But it's not just of his career. It's like it's an ode to the concept of storytelling and to the idea of myth making and like it, it's it's this huge thing that spanned his entire life up until 20 years ago um and so it reflects every spot along his journey through life is reflected in these stories and so you know there's a lot of people that really really love the first few entries and then like it less as it went along and like from like a, a strict narrative propulsion storytelling perspective i get that like i think the drawing of the three is such a propulsive like young gripping king novel that just grabs you from the first and doesn't look like i get uh, like that's a great book i really love the wastelands too i i I love wizard and glass for you know a thousand different reasons um and then you know the last three books change a little bit they do they're different but they're different to me in such fascinating ways because he had this experience that changed him fundamentally. And then he, he put that fundamental change into his story. And so it becomes, it it starts as a story about a man struggling with addiction and it becomes a story about a man struggling with their mortality. 
and it can be both of those things at the same time. And and the the beauty of it, I think, is they can layer on top of each other in really fascinating ways. I just I'm endlessly fascinated by it. I just love exploring it because like it, it's not that I'm saying like if you read this book, you understand who Stephen King is as a, as a person, because no, you you can't do that unless you actually know the person. But like I think I think you definitely understand who he is as a storyteller much better. Like what is what is important to him and, and what does he think about his role in this world and, and what he does. And I, I don't know, it just continuously blows me away. And like one of the joys in my life has been sharing it with a good friend of mine who was so thankful that he loved it as much as I did. I, you know, you're pretty confident going into these things where you're like, he's going to love it. He's going to love it. And you're like telling yourself that over and over again. And then one day you wake up and be like, but what if he doesn't, or what if he's just, <laughs> what if he's just lying to me this whole time? Cause he thinks the show will be bad, but no, no, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think it's really hard to sell people on the dark tower because like, if you just go through, I did this with my wife earlier this year, actually, where like, I just told her like the five sentence summary of each of these books. And it sounds insane. It, it sounds <laughs> like the craziest thing ever. And, and it is, but when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it, it all just works and it all makes sense. It's the next logical progression. Of course, that's what happened. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, giant robot there. Yep, I'm there. We're good. It's amazing how he does that. And I think it all comes back to his command of characters. We we will go with these people to any crazy shit they go through because we love them and understand them so much as as characters in the story. And that's a, this thing he's always been able to do just so well. And I don't think... You know, I think there are maybe, I mean, it's unfair to say, I think there are more complicated characters than some of the characters in the Katet that, that he's written before, but none fascinate me as much as this group of people. And that's why, like, one of the joys of rereading the books is just getting to hang out with them again, even if they're saying the same stuff they did last time. It's just, it's great. So, I mean, I, I could keep going if you want to keep going about the Dark Tower. I, have you have you finished the whole, the whole Dark Tower? I don't want to spoil it for you. Have not. Okay. Have I'm not. glad I, I'm yeah. glad I didn't say anything then. Okay. Yeah, great question. No, but it's my first time with the journey. It's my first time with the tower. And I just finished a few months back Wizard and Glass. Okay. And I, you know, I'm not really a genre person. You know, I came to King really, really late in life. And mm-hmm. so I was very, very nervous going into this series. But when I got to Wizard and Glass, I was like, my God, this is amazing. And I want to ask a rogue question really quick because I'm with an expert. Because I loved Wizard and Glass so much, I found out that when through the keyhole is right after Wizard and Glass. It's like this little little extra bit there. And I was like, oh, well, I want to read that, even though it's not chronological. And so I've gotten really 50-50. Some people are like, yeah, who cares? Go for it. Do it. Doesn't matter. And other people are like, don't do that. Just stay on canon. Keep going in order. And so I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do Win Through the Keyhole. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Like, does it really matter or? I mean, uh, ultimately, no, it doesn't matter. Like, you're not going to destroy your enjoyment of a book by choosing to read it in a slightly different order. I I don't think so. I like the way we did it was publishing order. And if people ask me, I, I say publishing order. I think the thing with Wizard and Glass and, and went through the keyhole that most people, the reason they recommend saving keyhole till the end is because when you read them in that order, you get this block of like 
hundred a thousand like 1100 pages that is not the quest itself moving forward and so for a lot of people that could get frustrating right because wizard and glass is in essence a very very long flashback novel went through the keyhole is likewise without spoiling anything a novel in which the majority of it takes place in a flashback or a story or a different time from our quartet and their central quest and so if you read them in that order you could go many 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 pages and many weeks without you know seeing eddie and jake and and susanna and roland really move forward in their quest to the tower and for a lot of people that can be really frustrating and they get tired of it and it's like okay i want to get the story going again so that's why I, I tend to recommend just do it in publishing order because then you just you just move on into into book five and you get get back to the quest itself but if you're not as concerned with that and you just like the books for the sake of the books and you just enjoy reading them then yeah it, you can read it whenever you want it does i think chronologically take place there like it's the quartet leaving right after roland finishes his story that is wizard and glass um they get holed up somewhere else and he ends up telling a different story um so it will chronologically sit right afterwards but yeah it it it's whatever whatever people want to do i think like there's so many there's too many rules to reading sometimes <laughs> it's like and and I know people really get into it with their like you know there's so many like the, here's the master list of dark tower where here's where you read this book and this book and this book in between these and th- i think all that stuff's really fun and people should do it not on their first time though like just just yeah. just, re- just read the books and enjoy them and then you can get creative with uh, all the all the extra material afterwards yeah i read little sisters of aluria because it's in of course i's drawing a huge blank Every, everything's, everything's eventual, eventual. Yeah. there you go bingo and so i was like the hell is this <laughs> so, um i was like uh, oh my god i don't want to read the dark tower now this is batshit and an acid <laughs> trip and i don't want to know and then rereading it after finishing wizard and glass i was like oh my god so yeah yeah you're right i yeah i think i'm gonna do it and i love the way i've emotionally transformed through my journey thus far i'm amazed i'm amazed with okay this these people are weird and this is strange <laughs> i i'm really confused to like by the time i get to the wastelands i was like I will kill anyone who hurts Jake. I will <laughs> I will kill you. If anyone touches Oi, yeah. I will kill you and your whole family. Like the the love and devotion and passion that just sort of starts to accumulate is amazing. Isn't it such a fascinating choice that he chooses to begin his magnum opus multi-part book thing with his protagonist allowing a young child to be murdered? Uh, for the sake of his quest like it's the one of the most fascinating choices to me in the world and he's like he's like making a bet with the reader which is like i bet you're still gonna like him like he's an asshole he's a monster he's a jerk i bet you're still gonna like him i bet i can make you still like him and he's right and that's it's one of the most fascinating things in the world to me that he pulls that off again and again and again i love roland and yeah the, the the love that he instills in jake through Roland and through just you, the reader, I think is just just fantastic stuff. I love it too. I'm like, I don't get any of this, but I'm on board. <laughs> That's the first book. The Gunslinger is such a weird freaking book. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. I love it. Um, I love part five. Part so, five yeah. I love, yeah. 
it's it's so weird it's so disjointed it's so i mean like there's a lot of people out there that just say uh you can just skip it or or, (gasps) no yeah which i don't agree with at all because it has this it has that important establishing thing of, of who roland is as a person i think is 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 paramount to everything that king's doing with him as a character but I mean, you can tell this is a very young Stephen King intentionally trying to like throw his voice in how he's writing. He's trying to do some more serious. I don't want to call it literary because the the shit that happens in it is not <laughs> literary at all. But he's trying to do like a more kind of self serious voice, and it's it's so funny going from that to what to drawing of the three, and it's just night and day. You you go from this this person who's trying very specifically to do this very specific kind of thing to someone who's oh, this is what I sound like, and I'm going to write this way now, and it's just it's just wild. That's like, I will never forget my uh, co-host's reaction to moving on to Wizard and Glass, which is like, oh, this is a whole different thing now, and I love what this thing is. And it's not like he wasn't liking it before. He enjoyed the first book too, but man, it's so different. I, I love The Gunslinger for what it is. Yeah, there's there's moments. In, I think the my favorite moments are part five is really great. All the stories of young Roland, I think, are, are really fascinating as well. But there's some stuff in there that's just like young Stephen King just going with it. Um, And yeah. I should preface, I don't hate the gunslinger. I don't. But I was so confused. So I was really like in science observation mode the whole time. And then part five grabbed me by Mm -hmm. the hand and was like, you're in this now, girlies. Try to get out. (laughs) I love it. Well, he does that. He does that nested structure in the first part, right? Where it's like actually like you start at one level. And then you move to a story within a story within a story. And that like, it's interesting, but it's confusing too. It, it's like, if you're not sitting here studying, okay, where are we relative to the other parts of it? It's very confusing. And he, he loves to do that kind of nested structure of stories within stories. But I think it's done the most clumsily in, in The Gunslinger to where I remember specifically in prepping for the episodes we did on it to have to like literally write it out okay, this is this level, and then we're here, and then we're going to move back to the, like, it's it's a little bit of messy, yeah. Okay, one last Dark Tower question, because it mm-hmm. feels like I have an audience with the Pope, so I might as well ask. So. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, I think about this all the time, and this is in the first book, I believe, when he's in Toll, and he is with that Sylvia lady? Sylvia Pittston, yeah. Correct. What in the hell physically happens there, Scott? Because I don't understand it. I had to read that thing word for word into my own recording of The Gunslinger. And I was like, I don't understand. I do not get what's happening here. And so I don't know if it's like a physical penetration of firearms or a mystical hovering of firearms. I need to know. Yeah, he, uh, he, he gives an abortion with a revolver. I, okay. I've always taken it as just straightforward <laughs> as that's exactly Excellent. what happened. Yeah just absolutely wild choice it's one of those things that like i guess if i try to imagine like what people would do if this was their first book ever reading king because like reading this book after you know king it's still an out of left field thing that happens but you're kind of just like oh steven and (laughs) like the first time reading it yeah it's got to be like what what the heck is this what why why did this happen what and yeah it's definitely one of those moments for sure I thought so. I really did recall thinking, okay, it has to be that. It has to be that. But I've heard like, it can't be that. Or no, it's just a a metaphor for, and I was like, okay, that makes me feel a lot better. One less thing I have to think about at (laughs) 3am. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that that does kind of bring one of the things that I think is fascinating about the Dark Tower. And one of the reasons I love it is that the world building is actually, I don't want to say bad, but like, it's not the driving point of his storytelling. The rules of the Dark Tower universe are barely existent, if ever. Like, how does how does magic work? What are the rules to it? You know, we get things about the beam guardians and and the beams and and but there's also machines and the old ones built up the beams like and it's there's explanations there, but it's all very thin and not focused on. And it's just like for for people that love world building, like for I think like the Brandon Sanderson fans out there that love that your systems have rules and the rules are clearly defined and and then the, the story takes place within those clearly defined rules. It must drive people crazy because none of it makes sense. It doesn't. And I think. I'm the type of reader that that doesn't bother me. Like, I, I love that. I actually don't want to spend too much time really defining and, and you know, bordering on what the, the scope of the world is. So I, I don't mind it, but I can definitely see how that kind of thing would drive people crazy when they're like, just even like, even like a map of <laughs> Midworld. There, there was ones that exist out there, but there's all kinds of weird inconsistencies. Like the, the one that everyone talks about famously in the drawing of the three is that he's just walking the wrong direction or the oceans on the wrong side and like i mean you can you can chalk all this stuff up to just an author making a mistake but it's so much more fun if you go well or or (laughs) maybe it's some weird magic shit going on in this world but I, i that's one of the things i i really appreciate about it as a whole is that he's never really tied himself down to being consistent with some very specific ideas of world building and mythology and stuff. It's just like, he's going to pull it in when it makes sense. And he's going to move away from it into something else when that makes sense. And the characters are compelling to where that never really bothers me. I usually have radical acceptance with all things King and I do a decent (laughs) job of swallowing it, but I think I can let it not bother me. But every now and again, I'm always hungry for just a smidgen, like just a little more. Yeah. I, I get that. I totally do. I, I, think sometimes it's better to want a little bit more than to get too much. Cause I actually do think when King feels like he has to over explain some of the rules and boundaries of the stuff he's making up is when it gets almost a little too silly. I think insomnia, which is a book I really, really like is a great example of that where it's a really fun book. And then we start having to like really try to process what are these little doctors and like, how does this stuff actually work? And we have entire chapters where it's just these little little guys like explaining the rules of the universe to our characters. It's like, okay, this is getting a little much for me. It's getting a little plotty for me. But no, I think I totally get why people get often frustrated because he builds these beautiful worlds and then there's just a big dark spot where he's like, just don't look, just don't look there. It's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> I do love that. Too little is better than too much. So yeah. good. So good. My next question is in regards to your favorite Stephen King villain or villains. Okay. I think it has to be Randall Flagg. And, and I think I think it's just because King's created him as kind of he can be a catch-all villain where he can be some things in some stories and a different thing in a, a different story. Like, he's great as the walking dude. But then also in uh, Eyes of the Dragon, he gets to be this very traditional fantasy wizard villain that I just I just love him in there and and the thing I love the most about it is you're like are these the same guy (laughs) or are they not the same guy and that's another one of those king is never gonna tell you type questions I've seen people say what they really want is like king to write a 
a Randall Flagg novel that really fleshes out Randall Flagg. And part of me is like, yeah, hell yeah, I would love that. I would love to spend a whole book with him. And the part of me is like, oh, I wonder if that would ruin the mystery and the weirdness of all the different various versions of Flagg we see throughout these these novels. I don't know. I'm sure he'd find a way to do it compelling if he ever did it. But no, I, I think he's he's really fascinating. He shows up all over the place with different goals in mind. We reread The Stand last year, and I just was reminded how much I love him in that story and how much he kind of like perfectly personifies, I think, one of King's central ideas of what evil is, is this thing that's actually incredibly self-destructive in and of itself so much through so many of these stories. And I think it's one of the things you see the complaints levied against some of King's ending so many times is that he builds up these big, big confrontations that are going to happen between these two sides, good and evil. And then invariably evil just screws it up for themselves because that's what evil does. Um, and, and people usually see that as a letdown or disappointing. And I get that, but it, it, to me, it's really fascinating. This it's, and it's very, this Tolkienian idea too. Like Tolkien was a, a big proponent of this idea that, that evil destroys itself. And I think King subscribes to that very much is that there's this inherent selfishness and greed and desire of evil um, will eventually eat itself. And that I think that is Randall Flagg. Exactly. Like we see that in the stand, we see that in uh, eyes of the dragon, like this recurring beat of these characters that like just end up screwing it up for themselves. Um, And of course there's, there's the work of the white and the side of good, like doing that. But, but often it's just those people standing and believing and then in in light of that evil just kind of crumples and i i love that idea i love that idea i think that's that's a very comforting idea in the world we live in you know i don't know if it's 100 percent accurate but it's very comforting when you look at the world and you say you know there's bad stuff here but hopefully that stuff will eventually destroy itself with its own greed goodwill triumph yeah I loved that so much like <laughs> every word just sent me soaring I too am a huge flag girl and <laughs> it really just kind of happened subtly where I love the many-faced god I love mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. transforming nature of him through time I love immortal stuff and I just love that he gets to be a different guy but with the same agenda mm-hmm. every time so good I really would love to talk with you once you finish your journey to the Dark Tower on what your feelings are on him once we get through that, because there's there's definitely some more flag stuff that you'll see through the end of the that story um, that's really interesting and adds a, a lot of new fun information to to who Randall Flag is and what he represents and stuff like that. So <gasps> oh definitely, <my> definitely love to pick your brain about that once you get through it. Oh, I'm thrilled! I can't wait because I was blown away where I was like, "Oh my God, you're Martin! Martin is you! You're Walter! <laughs> <laughs> you're the man!" I, I I was screaming up and down the halls of my home just like <laughs> <laughs> I love it anytime I'm like oh my god Richard Faraday just, just yeah. blown away it's like he's totally evil and I shouldn't be excited when he comes on screen but that's what <laughs> villains do we just yeah he- he's deliciously evil well and, and then there's the confusion of whether he's he's the good man because like this is this is what I love about King is that he just changes his mind sometimes and he doesn't worry about it he just does it and so like if you go through and you read the dark tower and you he does these summaries before each episode uh, each book and the summaries will have information in it that the last book didn't have in it and it's this fascinating thing where you're like martin broadcloak who is walter odim who is the good man and i'm like wait wait what (laughs) no he's not and then later 
he'll contradict that because he's not. That's a different person canonically in the story. But I think he's just like, he's changed his mind and he's unsure and uncertain. And, and I think that inadvertently adds this this level of mystery to this guy because you're never quite sure who he is and isn't because, well, the author isn't, isn't quite sure either. Oh man, that makes me just love it even more. Now mm-hmm. I'm just so jonesing. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you for that. So cool. Have you read the... Wendy's button box stuff that uh, Richard Chismar did with with King. I have not. I haven't done any collabs yet. Okay, what are your yeah. thoughts on that one? I mean, uh, they were like they're they're very short, very small books, so they're like day reads. So like you you can't ever like really dislike something that that you can get through that quickly. Um, it's just fun, quick reads. They, I mean, they weren't my favorite stuff. They have some flag stuff in them, which is why I bring them up. But oh my uh, god, okay, <laughs> yeah, but in a way that <laughs> in a way that also kind of continuously confuses or deepens or twists you know his role in the ongoing universe like it's just like okay so that's what he's doing in this story huh i don't know i don't know what to do with that Um. (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it because i thought i had him figured out i was like okay i'm pretty sure you're just a new testament demon and we're just gonna let you be that you just change your face and your goal's the same is to destroy, destroy, destroy. But now there's, I love nuance. I'm here for it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm buckled in now. Yeah, no, I mean, you've, you've got a lot of fun flag stuff coming at you in the end of the Dark Tower and this stuff for sure. Oh my God. Okay. I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm into it. Having discussed villains, you did mention endings a little bit, which leads into a rad question I like. In regards to King Endings, for the most part, constant readers seem to really just enjoy the journey. Like, there's not a lot of people who flip out too much about endings. However, sometimes an ending can be so dissatisfying, it can (laughs) ruin the journey. Are there any King titles that that may have happened where it just didn't land well to the point where you're like, you know, I'm upset? You know, I don't think so. As you were talking, I was going through the list of books just to see if like I read that and then he jumps out at me. I was like, oh, yeah, that one. No, I mean, I'm pretty easy when it comes to endings, I guess. Like I, I've never I've kind of never subscribed to the king is a bad writer of endings thing. I feel like that was that was like a meme that got started at some point And then people just propagate it without even really having any evidence to support it or not. Um, now, there, there's certainly people that like his endings to different levels of course but this idea that like this this overarching general idea that he's just bad at ending his stories i just disagree with i i think he's just he's just a he's not a planning type writer he's a pantser right he writes by the seat of his pants and so i don't think the endings of his stories are ever going to have like this vast web of things coming together perfectly because that's just not the way he writes his stories um but but i think they're all thematically and emotionally satisfying or if they're not emotionally satisfying, that's a very deliberate choice. Like the ending is made specifically that way. You're not supposed to feel good about this. You're supposed to feel frustrated and annoyed about it. And and there's people that don't like to feel that way. There's people that read books that they want to get this feeling of satisfaction from an end or they want to see their hero character fight the bad guy and defeat him. And that's not always what they're going to get. Like I think The Stand is a book that people seem to really dislike the ending of. A lot of people really dislike the ending. And there's parts of the the ending of The Stand that I dislike. I dislike that the book decided to write Franny out of it entirely, basically. 
but I thought like from a thematic standpoint, that ending was profound and beautiful. Uh, and, and I, I loved it to death, but no, we don't get our, our heroes don't get to go up and, and punch the bad guy in the face and beat him down. That's not, that's not the way it works. So I, I know looking at this list, there's never really been one that I that's jumping out to me that's saying is like, no, I was loving this book. And then I got to the ending and it ruined it for me. Even under the dome. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I, I think, I think under the dome is a book that I just kind of enjoyed for what it was. And, and um, so yeah, the endings, it's all right. <laughs> uh, but I think it matches the rest of the book for me where it's just, it's all right. I think it's one of the, it's one of those great Stephen King concepts of what would happen if we did this. And it's like this really fun concept where you're like, Oh yeah, I never thought about the fact that like it would mess up the environment. It would mess up the climate and that would change slowly over time. And that that's cool. And that carries you a lot through the novel of it's like, Oh yeah, I never thought about what this would, <laughs> cause it's like, like being trapped in a town and like the dome story concept that's like a that's like a science fiction classic right that was a why am i blanking on the name of the anthology show that i really should know the name of twilight zone thank you <laughs> <laughs> why could i not remember twilight zone it yeah. happens it happens yeah. that was like a, a early twilight zone episode that concept and so he just takes that and then marries that with the small town thing and it's a fine story i don't i don't remember hating the ending though I was fine with it, too. I really was. I wished it would have been tragic. I kind of wish it would have taken a darker turn, personally. Mm -hmm. But I, I was okay with it, too. I was like, well, you know, we knew that it was not human and not on this planet. So it's, <laughs> it's par for the course. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. I was okay, I was okay yeah. with it, too. Moving right along here. So having read everything other than some of the later ones... Which ones have you reread? Have you reread them all, or is it just no. like for the show? You you'll kind of spend some time. Yeah, so the ones that I've I've reread the most, I've I've really read the Dark Tower three times, four times now, I think, um, including the one we did for the show, and I've reread it probably the most. I feel like I reread it every few years since I read it the first time, which is a really fun exercise. One of the things I love the most about it is is how the story changes for you as you grow up. The first time I read it, I was not much older than the losers. The most recent time I read it, I was the same age as they were when they went back to Derry, which is a really trippy experience. And now we're, we're right in the middle of rereading it again. And I'm now older than, than these characters, which is again, a really, really weird experience. And, and I, I wonder how that's going to change and grow as, as I do, you know, as I, as I move into middle age and beyond, like, what am I going to look at these characters like now? Um, how am I going to identify with them now? It's really cool. But um, those are the the big ones that I've read. I've read the, the stand a, a few times and everything else. I, I don't I don't reread that much anymore because spending so much of my time at reading for shows and then, you know, you have some reading for pleasure you have to do off to the side. So those are the big ones I've read multiple times. I need to do a big it reread, but I've noticed as I age, I'm much more tolerant of adult mistakes i'm like oh mm -hmm. well you, you need a therapist it's fine you know yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so but no it's pretty fascinating i need to do a big it reread yeah and i mean the the thing that's great about it is the first time you read it if you read it as a kid like you're just there with the kids and identifying with the kids and, and totally in that world and then that that is kind of how the book operates for you 
But when you read it as an adult, especially one close to the age of those characters, like you suddenly realize that this is not necessarily a book about childhood. This is a book about remembering childhood. And this is a book about recalling those moments in, in time. And it's a book that somehow he managed to do this. He unlocks your childhood because I like, I haven't forgotten my childhood in the way the characters in the story have, because it's like a magical forgetfulness for them. But you don't remember and think about the specifics of your childhood very much in your day-to-day life. And like the, the way he writes the experiences these kids have as kids just unlocks the memories for you where you're like, oh yeah, it's not even that I remember this specific thing is I remember feeling that feeling. I remember experiencing that thing for the first time. Like we just this past week read the part where Ben gets out for summer vacation. It's the, like the first Ben chapter where he's out for summer vacation. And the way he writes that is like, oh, I remember that feeling of summer as a kid. I remember that feeling of this is the longest I am from having to go back to school ever. And I think the line in it somewhere is like, the calendar said we had two months, but the calendar was a liar. What we had infinity. It, it's this, this the way he writes it, like you're not just experiencing that thing. You're remembering that feeling. And that's one of the joys of getting to reread that, that book as an older person. Oh man, the nostalgia. <laughs> More fun questions. If you were able to be stuck in a Stephen King setting, what would you choose? If you wanted to hang out there, you could do the like Mike Enslin from 1408 route. I think it's Mike Enslin and go for terror. Or you could, you know, head over to North Carolina and hang out in Joyland or something. This is this is terrible because like... Every Stephen King location has all of the normal mundane evils of our world and then also horrible, horrible cosmic evil that's using the mundane evil. So it's like, do I want to live in a place that's canonically worse than the place <laughs> we live now? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, since we said Doom a key, I think living living out there would be pretty great. I would probably steer clear of the house for a lot of reasons, but... I mean, like, there's part of me that's like that wants to answer Castle Rock, even knowing what Castle Rock is and the things it goes through and all the things that go down there. But there's part of me like I think that's the fascinating thing about how King writes small towns is that he's relentless about how terrible they are. But like you can tell he loves them at the same time. It's this really fascinating, almost contradiction where it's all he knew for a long time and he has this great love for it, but is also like, also these places suck. Um, <laughs> and so, and so like even Derry, like Derry is from the first page of that book, very clearly made to be like, Hey, this place is bad. It's just bad. And we learn very specifically what all the bad parts of it are. But then like he describes it, he goes through like this geographical lesson of what Derry looks like. You can't help but like fall in love with it a little bit too. And yeah, I, I like saying Castle Rock, saying Derry, saying all these terrible towns that I would never want to live in, but also I would kind of kind of want to live in. <laughs> right? I love that. Very nice answer. Okay, kind of stemming back to readership. Mm-hmm. When you speak to non-King folk, people who are like, oh, I don't read horror or I've never really read a Stephen King book. What's your process in terms of what do you recommend to them? Or do you just not talk to non-King people? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, uh, I just tell them to move along. No, yeah. um, that's a that's a great question. I'm kind of sort of going through this with my wife right now, who has never read a, a King novel at all. Oh, not, wow. not really into horror herself very much at all. Has watched some of the movies with me as we've gone through them, but b- reluctantly and begrudgingly. I, I think like 
starting with the stuff that people don't even realize is Stephen King is a great move. Like, I think I really like the green mile. I think that that story made me like openly weep the first time I read it, even though I knew what the ending was going to be. It's just like gets you there. Um, I really love that book. And I think people have a lot of people have watched that movie and have no idea. It's a Stephen King story, similar to, to Shawshank. I think that's a great place to start because it gets you. It's like, look, this is a guy who's just really good at writing character and you can learn this here. And if you want to try the spookier stuff, it's so weird because like, I don't even think of King as a horror writer that much anymore, especially after reading all his stuff. Like, yeah, there's definitely some horror books spattered around in there, especially early in his career, but it's so expansive. He's explored so many different things. He's done so many different genres. He's, he's, it's really really limiting to just call him a horror writer but that's the perception that everyone's going to always have like you go to a bookstore and every single book he's written is in the horror section even if it makes zero sense for it to be there but i i think green mile is a great one to start with i was trying to think of of some other ones i think if you want to do horror i think carrie's a really good one to start with as well because i don't know that's a that's a smaller book it's a quicker read and it's it's a I think he does like the epistolary style with Carrie. And I think that's one thing that the hallmarks of his style that he comes back to again and again throughout his career that I really enjoy. You really get a, a good sense of of his style with Carrie, although it's evolving. I think Carrie, Carrie, he does the thing where he does the parentheticals mid sentence a lot. And he did that a lot in like his first decade of writing. And he kind of cooled off on that as he's gone on. But I, I don't know. I really like that style. It it adds emotion to what you're reading like the interjection of thoughts always makes it feel less like you're reading and more like you're experiencing a story so i like carrie a lot and the eyes of the dragon for kids uh, i think is the perfect one so lovely right oh my god i loved it i thought it was such a sparkling diamond Mm -hmm. my goodness i just love his narrative style i was blown away by wizard and glass and how when I read that book, I'm like, who is this? Like, who wrote who wrote this? Yeah, the, yeah. the narrative style, like the way he could just turn on the elegance or then turn that down and be really, really clipped and short or like really languid and very dense. And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, how do you do this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like, you know, the Beatles White Album is them kind of saying, hey, we're really good at music. Let's do every single genre of music in one album and prove to you we're good at this no matter what we can do. And I feel like that's what King's been doing throughout his entire career. Like he he spends a lot of time in a certain lane. Sure. But he's not afraid to to veer off wildly and explore different things and different tones and different styles. It's one of the things I like most about him. I love that. I love that there are people out there that recognize that and are sharing that message because it's so important. I think the power of pop culture really just has them in a tiny box. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually spend time with his work, you're like, oh my God, that is <laughs> so limiting. Why? Why is he in this tiny little section? I don't yeah. get it. Have you, did you read From a Buick 8? I did. I love that book. Amazing book. What a, what a choice to be like, here's a book that I'm going to write and I'm going to tell you right away that you're not going to find this book satisfying at all. <laughs> I'm not going to answer any questions you have, but I'm going to do it. Here we go. What a right. choice. I was like, wow, we're in philosophy class. Damn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dang. Wow. A lot, of people, a lot of people don't like that book. And that's one of those things where I totally get it. Like, if you tell me you don't like that book, I was like, yep, I get it. Yep. I get why you could find that immensely dissatisfying. But oh, what a what a fun book. 
I was into it. I was loving it because I knew I was like, oh, this is just theory. This is just you Mm -hmm. think, thinking and dreaming and wandering. And you're having us kind of go on this scientific exploration with this troop of cops. And it's just going to be a meditation. And I'm like, I am here for it. Oh, my God. And again, as a response to his his accident and his near-death experience, right? It, it's, it's one of those books that comes out of that experience. And you can totally understand how a guy wrestling with his own mortality and trying to seek answers to questions that perhaps don't have any answers just decides to channel that all into the story. And it's so fun to read it with that perspective. Totally. Loved it. I'm glad you liked it, too. That makes me happy. But if you would have said Tommy Knockers was your favorite, I was going <laughs> to... We were going to have words, Scott. Was that I think that was the one where King himself said that there's like a good 300 page novel mixed in there somewhere. And I think I agree with him on that. Like there's a lot of really fun ideas in there when he kind of goes off and and talks about all the different townspeople and their reactions and stuff. There's a lot of fun in there, but it's just so long. It's just so stretched out. It's just such a mess. I really I really wanted to like it. I really did. There was a hot minute where I was debating putting like one of King's most controversial novels on our list for season three. I was like, oh, it'd be fun to talk about one that most people don't like. And then I was like, I don't want to talk about this book for eight weeks. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That sounds miserable. <laughs> like, I, it'd be fun to talk about like once and, and talk about the ways it doesn't work. But yeah, no, that wouldn't be fun. So no, I grudgingly kind of respect that there's a good story in, in somewhere in Tommy Knockers, but no, that's not that's not a good book. No. Agree. I love that main character, Bobby. Mm, I've yeah. I think she's amazing. I think she's so progressive and cool. And I love how that novel starts. I love her relationship with Drunky Face. I forget his name. And yeah, there was some great potential in several areas, but then it just turned into a junkyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm just going to get in the car and go. I don't want to rummage anymore, King. But yeah, lots to appreciate. I was going to say, if it was your favorite, I was like, I don't mean to yuck your yum, Scott, but <laughs> but we got problems. <laughs> See, I think even the people that do list it as their favorite, like I've seen some people like, uh, we're, we're running a discussion question this week right now that is, tell us what your favorite Stephen King novel is, but give it to us in in haiku format to be like Ben and, and it. And we, I've, we've seen some Tommy knockers come in for that. And every time it is, people are prefacing it with, yeah, I know it's it's a, it's not a good book, but it was like one of the first books, King books I've read. So it holds like powerful nostalgic memories for people. So I think even the people that really like it recognize it's 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 lacking a little bit of something. I'll give it to you if it's nostalgic. You (laughs) get a free pass if it's childhood. Okay. But other than that. (laughs) I guess you haven't read Sleeping Beauties because that's, uh, you said you haven't read any of the. No collabs. Yeah. Yeah, No collabs. Because I, I'm excited and I will, but I'm like, how am I going to, I mean, can you really tell like who's who? I think I haven't gone there yet because I'm like, this is going to drive me nuts stylistically. Yeah, I mean, one of the confusing things about that actually is, and, and we really tried to to dive into this when we were doing The Talisman, but basically from everything I've read, when Straub and King wrote The Talisman, they were like trying to ape each other's style. So like the parts that sound the most Kingian, you're like, okay, was that King writing or was that Straub trying to do King and vice versa? 
and I've read enough Peter Straub to be able to kind of recognize his style a little bit. It's a lot different from King's. And so there was definite moments where I was like absolutely 100% convinced, like this is a chapter that King wrote. This is a, a chapter that Straub wrote. But no, I mean, ultimately, I don't I don't think you can truly tell in that story. I think Sleeping Beauties is, is one of the ones he wrote with Owen, his son. It's not a bad book. It to me... I don't want to ruin your opinion of it before you've even read it. But to me, it felt like a book that was mostly written by Owen King uh, that his dad maybe helped out on because it just there's a lot of fun ideas in there. And a lot of them feel like Stephen King themes and ideas and stuff. It just didn't move. It was like of all the books that I read as part of this reread slash read project, it was the one that took me the longest. Like, I think I this book sat next to my bed for like three months and I would like pick it up and make a few pages into it and then just find something else to read. Um, and I, I was never like actively disliking it. It just was never pulling me along. I guess I slapped that with like a kind of Tommy knockers esque is why I'm bringing that up. I got you. Good to know. Good to know. I could see that happening. Like I write a paragraph and you write 70 pages and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a parent, but I would do something like that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. I don't know if you already have one of these priceless treasures, but if you had the opportunity to get a Stephen King book signed, only one, which one would it be? I think it would have to be a Dark Tower one. Um, I think It is probably my favorite of his novels, but there's part of me that like thought It and then said like, oh, that would annoy him. (laughs) And so I didn't want to do it's just one of like the most common answers, right? Like there's just like, I mean, you know, you're doing the the underrated Stephen King stories, you know, everybody loves it. And so it feels it feels easy to just say it's my favorite novel and get that one signed. So I think it would probably be one of one of the Dark Tower ones, I think probably Wizard and Glass. Yay! Um, But here's and again, this is a thing that I really would love to talk to you about once you get through them. Song of Susanna is the third or the middle of the three that he wrote back to back to back to to cap the series off. And it's usually the least liked of those three and often the least liked of the seven. And it's a book I absolutely fell in love with when we covered it on the show. (gasps) Okay. Um, So it's like, that's a book I really want. It would love to get your opinion on when you, when you get to it, but that would be a fun one to pick too, because I bet he would not be expecting that. It's, it's like the shortest of the three. It's, it's very, very short compared to the other dark tower books. And most people call it like a transition book. You know, you have everything that happens in book five and then you're transitioning to the final book of the series. And so it's like this transitory type type story. But oh, I it's 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 also absolutely beautiful. Um, and I, I fell in love with it like I, I'd never had before for the show. So I'd probably bring that one too and be like, look, I'm I'm, I'm serious, Stephen. <laughs> I like this book. You'd never expect it. I'm not a plebeian. Look, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that gives me a lot to think about. I will keep that in my piggy bank going forward because <laughs> I love Susanna. Oh, my God. And sometimes I'm just sitting up in bed and I'm like, oh, my God, Susanna's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> like, Susanna's totally pregnant. And she kind of had sex with this, like, demon thing a couple books ago. And I'm really worried about that. <laughs> I love Susanna. So I really <laughs> need to to do some hard thinking going forward. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of fun, I think. With, with those aspects of those books for sure favorite stephen king film or tv series adaptations ah uh, that's a great question so i mean i i really am boringly a, a sucker for kubrick's the shining i really love that story i mean i think you know 
we've had debates throughout time of whether it's a good adaptation or not and ultimately probably not but but i still think it's just a masterful work i said dr sleep before and i i really love flanagan and his work i think he gets king on a level that i've never quite seen before and so i really really loved dr sleep i really loved his gerald's game adaptation as well um was really into that i feel like everyone says shawshank because like that's one of the most beloved movies of all time you know, younger, more edgy me, like really decided that he didn't like Shawshank because like that was just the most boring favorite movie answer people could have like Shawshank and Forrest Gump is like those are people that don't watch movies, favorite movies. <laughs> and so like I got really bent out of shape about that and pretended for years that I didn't really like those movies, which was just a lie. I was just trying to be an, an edgy film critic, whatever. But I think honestly, right now it's it's Dr. Sleep because I just really I really loved that movie. I loved Mike Flanagan has such balls <laughs> to do to do what he does, like to take on the sequel to a beloved novel and a beloved movie and find a way to in that sequel marry that movie and that novel together in a way that I don't think anyone could ever pull off was so wonderful and fascinating to me. I will never get over the choice to just not try to do anything stupid with recasting of characters and just say we're just going to cast some different people. And you're going to just believe those are the characters because this is a movie and that's what people do in movies. You just suspend your disbelief. We don't have to put a CGI young Jack Nicholson on this guy's face for you to know this is Jack Torrance. Like that loved, loved all of it. It was great. He is such a brilliant filmmaker and storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so grateful that we have him. I just am. I have so much gratitude. Like, thank God. Thank God we have somebody who's so whip smart and who loves the work as much as we all do mm -hmm. to adapt these stories because, man, we don't deserve him. I think his uh, House of Usher show is coming soon-ish. <gasps> oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure all the strikes and stuff are probably going to delay it all because I think it was supposed to be fall 2023, but who knows if it was done. But yeah, I will watch anything Mike Flanagan does. I don't know if you ever watched midnight mass girl yes uh, I, <laughs> I loved the hell out of that yeah. i was just frame for frame drooling in mm -hmm. my living room i yeah. am obsessed I, I i go speechless that's how you know i'm a chatty kathy and when i lose words that means it's just off the chain and that was Midnight Mass for me. And that was Haunting of Hill House for me. Yeah. Speechless. I just, the computer crashes when I think <laughs> about it. Yeah. We, I mean, we've kind of joked for a long time about once we finish up our Stephen King stuff, we're just going to do a Mike Flanagan podcast where we just go through everything he does beat by beat, like episode by episode. And I, I would, I would die a happy man if I got to do that <laughs> because there's, there's so much there. There's so much detail in his storytelling and his, his filmmaking. It's, He's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. I know this isn't a Mike Flanagan podcast, but but all podcasts should also kind of be a Mike Flanagan podcast because <laughs> he's just that good. I support. I wholeheartedly yeah. support <laughs> this endeavor because what he did with Dr. Sleep blew me away. Mm -hmm. What he did with the other sort of Netflix series. Oh, my God. This guy has the Dark Tower. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm a drooling fan and uh, support. <laughs> all Flanagan deep dives. Yeah. Well, let's hope, uh, let's hope it happens. I'm still, I, I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm not letting myself get like too excited until, until we hear that someone's bought it and it's got a home and 
we'll, we'll see. That's wise. Cause that happened to me with revival. Mm, yeah. Cause I was like, Oh my God, revival. <laughs> and so I was freaking out and telling everyone. And I think I jinxed it. I think it was me. I think I broke it and he lost it and I blame myself. So yeah. I, I too am cautiously optimistic. And as much as I was a curmudgeon about that that book an hour ago, I would have loved to see his take on that. I think that would have been really fascinating. 100%. Yeah. Fingers crossed he's just able to to do it all. Like, yeah. just, just, yeah. just do it all. Just do it all, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple more here. We're making our way to the end. Sure. Okay. This next one is about your favorite Stephen King this could be a romantic couple. It could be a team. It could be a bromance, a general friendship. Who's your favorite duo, trio, gang? Yeah, I, I think I have to be boring here and just say the the quartet from The Dark Tower. You know, I think that answer encompasses every option you just gave there, which is yeah. that like the Eddie and Susanna relationship, I just adore absolutely the the Roland and Jake relationship I love the Jake and Oi relationship I I absolutely adore and all their interactions like it's the perfect probably a strong word but it's one of the most wonderful just concepts of the the five man band trope where you're having each of these players performing a very specific role within the group and then getting to see how those roles bounce off each other and how you can outline the, the characters arcs and conflicts through how they're interacting and changing with the different people and how they interact with that group. And, and you, you fall in love with them individually, and then you fall in love with them as a group. And it's just, it's just fantastically well done seeing that Eddie's big moments get to be big moments when he pushes back against Roland, you're just so proud of him for standing up for himself and pushing back, but also like to see Roland also respect him for that because Roland only has one way of being a father, which is a, a terrible shitty way he learned from his dad but but also you you like it because because Roland is so messed up in your head <laughs> I, I just all of it all of it is just just great between all of them it just it's just so fun to read on rereads I've never in- enjoyed a book on rereads like I have on these because it's just seeing all those interactions again it just it feels new every time they're playing off of each other so much of the dark tower is just those four or five people just bouncing off each other in dialogue. And it's so fun every time. Oh, beautiful. It really is a great improvisation that they all do. I love that about them being a band that works so well. Beautiful. Two more questions. This one's one of my favorites because we've got some good ones, some crazy ones, some, (laughs) some wild ones. Who are your favorite Stephen King females? Oh man, I think probably recency bias because I'm reading it right now, but I think Bev would have to be up there. Uh, I I love her so, so much. I mean, we just, I, like the cool thing is on our reread, we haven't even really gotten to the stuff I love about her. Like it's literally just her introductory chapter where she escapes from her abusive husband and heads back to Derry. And even then I'm just like, oh man, I'm so, I love this character so much. I think the the big thing is I don't think the book lets her down. I think she's an incredible, complicated, wonderful character throughout. There's characters like we we talked earlier about Franny, who in the stand, I think is a great character at the beginning of the story. Like the way King draws this character, you're like immediately fascinated with her. The complicated nature, like how she deals with her boyfriend and the pregnancy and her father and her mother. And like King 
builds this out so wonderfully. And then the book just kind of leaves her behind, sadly. Like it just that's the the thing that bums me out so much is that Franny just becomes incredibly passive in the story and the, and that just okay, I guess. Like what happened to this incredibly rich, complicated character? I think that's actually one thing that maybe one of the only things that the miniseries remake they did in 20 that I liked was that I felt like the final episode was written by King and it was almost him like apologizing to the character of Franny by like giving her some agency back at the end of the story, allowing her to to do something. It's like one of the only things I liked in that thing, which I tons I did not like at all in it. But, but I was talking about Bev and then somehow I started talking about Franny. Sorry. So um, no, I, I adore Bev. I love seeing her interactions with the guys. I love, you know, seeing her as this character who comes into this group of a bunch of child dudes and like <laughs> makes like establishes herself as part of the group. And, you know, she's she's a really wonderful character. I mean, Susanna, obviously, I, I love as well. There's uh, Susanna is such a, a a complex character to talk about because there's so much stuff that King's doing with the Detta and Odetta stuff that some of it ha- has not aged well. Right. But it's all it's all really fascinating to me because he's trying to explore the, this idea with, with these two characters and how you deal with the worst things that happen to you. And I, the the creation of Susanna is one of my favorite moments in the story because it's like this idea of uh, genre fiction is fun because it allows you to take like ideas and metaphors and just literalize them. And so like it's just like <laughs> let's just literalize the concept of coming face to face with the worst part of yourself, like. We're just going to literally make that happen. And then we learn something and grow and become something new and and better for that experience. And that's what I think King does so beautifully with Susanna. So really, really like her. He writes so many, so many good women characters um, and then some some clunky ones for sure. Great choices. Susanna is just she's one of those that absolutely makes me think of Dark Goddess archetype oh Mm -hmm. wow like he's really really doing some destroyer goddess stuff in here where Mm -hmm. we've just got some awesomely powerful nutball women who are these dark deities so i'm a huge fan of the crazier the better curious what you thought of of susan um from wizard and glass because i've heard a lot of people say that they didn't really care for her as a character I really fell into the romance of Wizard and Glass, so I thought she was just uh, the lovely, sweet little virgin girl, you know, Mm -hmm. like not the girl next door, but like just this beautiful, bright little Disney princess. Yeah. And I was really okay with that because it works. She's in this little town and she's kind of married to this. It was very fairy tale in a lot of ways. So she's underdeveloped in that regard but what she represents is like that beautiful rose that everybody mm-hmm. wants and so she's really really valued for her body and her assets but her heart gets to fall in love with this boy that's around her age sort of kind of and they just have this passionate love affair and i was so into it i was like i don't care this is amazing <laughs> isn't it like you her. know you know going into the story that it's a doomed love affair like mm-hmm. the book has specifically told you that and yet you're absolutely swept up into it because he does such a good job with that and yeah i agree wizard and glass is a book that operates in archetype a lot because it is trying to do a a fairy tale type story um and so a lot of the characters in that story are more are more archetypes than they are deep complex characters not not just susan i think a lot of them obviously roland is the exception to that and that's because 
not only are we learning about Roland as a boy there, but it is reflecting on who we understand Roland is today. So he gets to be a little more complicated than that. But I, I agree. You know, a lot of these characters, like, you know, most most of the town of Hambury, like, really operates on kind of a, a very two-dimensional level. And that works for the story because that's the type of story it is. I agree. I just I loved this Western sort of saga that was yeah. going going down i was so into it mm-hmm. and i i love that they have that romance that works so well for me i think i was really upset at the ending just because of roland's choice i get it but i also lose track of how young he is and i think that was yeah. sort of a problem on my first read is he seems so mature because he's Roland and he's like the quiet thinking, pensive guy in the corner you have a crush on. I'm so into <laughs> that. I thought he was older. And then I was so upset with his choice. That's like, okay, sorry, Susan. Bye. But I understand like this guy's really young and mm-hmm. the tower is this crazy huge thing and you got to let it go. It was romantic, but she's collateral damage and <laughs> and yeah sad sad times but <laughs> yeah well and his his life has reinforced that idea right like all throughout his life when when put up against a hard choice and situation it's always been sacrifice something you care about in order to get ahead and so he's just been had that distilled in him and so it's it's almost not even a choice for him he just kind of makes it because of course he's going to um and that's that's his kind of great his great sin, um, his great problem is that he continually makes that that specific kind of choice. Yeah, it's it's great. It's tragic. I, the, like the Charyu tree moment still uh, like breaks my heart every time. It's so beautifully written. Um, I was dealing with every level of the grieving process. I was in denial. I was angry. <laughs> I was so upset. I was so mad. I was so mad. And I was just getting angrier and angrier, like the first 36 hours after I read it. <laughs> and so thankfully, Kingslingers did such a beautiful distillation that I was like, my feelings are valid. My, <laughs> <laughs> my feelings are valid. And yeah. I'm gonna be okay. And I understand this tower thing. I just think I just wasn't getting the all-consuming swallowing nature that the tower revealed itself to Roland and like there that's it that's it he's gone Roland's gone forever well and it also serves like I I I love it as that and I also love it as this idea that it is the thing that allows him to make every bad choice after that because once he makes the choice to sacrifice Susan to the tower then crying off means that he sacrificed her for nothing and so like it becomes this sunk cost fallacy thing where like he has to keep going he has to let jake go because every move to move away from that becomes oh i let this woman i loved die for no reason at all um and then i it's i'm responsible for that and so like this this need for the tower to be something important this need for his quest to be to save it and save the world is not just about the tower itself, but also about those choices he made and trying to validate those choices post-fact. Oh, that's brilliant. That's so helpful and brilliant. That's huge. I'm going to chew on that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's so because I'm pissed off. Yeah. You know, I, I think I still am a little and I'm really nervous for the quartet because they all love him so much. And I think they're all going to die. That's just my hypothesis i'm just preparing myself they are all going to 
be sacrificed for this man's quest. And that sucks. I don't know if it's going to happen. I just have my hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you suck, bro. You make, (laughs) like, nobody's worth dying for. Like, that. What a main character. (laughs) What a protagonist, right? That, like, that's the way you feel about him. And yet yet you love him at the same time, too. It's the wildest thing. Yeah. 100%. Like, I, too, would go follow him (laughs) Mm -hmm. if he was like, come on, get your stuff. Let's go. Okay, Roland. Okay. Here I come. I'm right behind you. And that's gross. I don't like that I feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's like that's what King is so good at is like he's yep. he's basically like I said, he's ma- he's making that bet and and he's got the confidence in himself to know that that's it's gonna work on you in that way. And and to like I think my my co-host Matt like said he has this understanding of people's psychology that we've never quite seen in, in a writer before, that he just seems to know how people think and how people work. And the decisions we make and why we make those decisions. I don't know. It's all it's all really fascinating stuff. Oh, you're dead on. Absolutely. Yeah. He's tapped in and plugged into some high level human nature stuff that is just fascinating to witness. We were like, how, yeah. how do you how do you know these things? Especially, <laughs> especially with women. I'm like, how do you know that? Stop. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> like very, very advanced. And hmm. I'm like, yeah. okay, interesting. So glad to have had this time to chat Dark Tower because these are deeply buried things that got to just come <laughs> out <laughs> and be like, oh, okay, I can breathe. <laughs> My last question to round us out. Tell me your top three or your top five Stephen King titles. They can be short stories. They can be collections. They could be novels, whatever you want. What are the ones where you're like, all right, these are the ones on the shelf? Okay. Gosh, this is going to be so boring because it's going to be the ones everyone suspects, but um, <laughs> it's definitely going to be it. Uh, it's up there at number one. I think Wizard and Glass would be pretty close behind that one. 112263 uh, is, I think, his modern masterpiece. Like, if, if anyone thought like King lost something, they just had to read that book and be like, oh, nope, he still got it. I think the trend I'm noticing here as I list these is I, I tend to like the big, thicker, longer novels. Uh, which is surprising because like I I really do appreciate like a tight, small, like not even short story, but just like a, a smaller novel that tells its story really efficiently and effectively. Um, but and yet I keep going back to these these incredibly big books that I like so much. Those are definitely my top three for sure. I'm looking at my list here and seeing if anything else jumps out of me. I think Hearts in Atlantis actually is a really good collection. I think not every story in that uh, works as well as others, but as a collection as a whole, it's it's really good. We read Low Men in Yellow Coats for our season two last year, and Matt fell in love with that, and then went back and read the entire book. And it's I think it's his favorite, if not one of his favorite King books. It's really like it's really profound. It's really sad. I love what he kind of is saying about his generation and the disappointment he feels with his generation. I think it's a book. I think it came out in 1999, right? So it's a book like on the age of of the new millennium. Like a, a man of the '60s looking back at what what happened, what what happened to us, and trying to figure that out. So it's a it's a really great story, sure collection of stories rather. I love it too. I love that look at the Vietnam generation and mm-hmm. the Vietnam stuff. Just crushes me in general, and reading it from King's perspective is really really special and all the more heart crushing. Yeah, yeah, and then. You know, on writing is is really great. That's like 
I've read that so many, so many times. But I think the nonfiction, I'm going to say Dance Macabre because I am fascinated by this book and I wish he would do a follow up for modern horror because, you know, obviously I wasn't I wasn't around where most of the horror stuff he's talking about. So it's a really great primer on like early 20th century to mid 20th century horror and the state horror is in and he just writes about it so in his usual King style, like even when he's writing nonfiction, he's just so relaxed and he feels like he's telling you a story. Like that's the thing, like the, the, the thing we say over and over again about King is that like everything you read from him feels like you're sitting at a bar with a guy having a drink and he's just telling you a story about stuff. And even when he writes nonfiction, he does it in that same that same way. And so it's some of the easiest nonfiction to read ever. And I picked that up as part of my chronological reread, having never read it before, really no idea what it was. Just like, oh, it's just this this nonfiction book about horror fiction and movies. And I, I read it in like two days because I was like fascinated. And and I've like he's got a list of everything he mentions in there. And I've like made it my mission of, of my life to to watch every movie he references and read every horror book he references in there uh not doing too great on that right now but i've got i've got time that's a it's a really good book that people should check out and i wish you would do a a modern follow-up too oh i love it i have it i have it and i i need to get there because i've heard wonderful things i've heard it is such a cool slice of his mind and i i need to get there mm-hmm. well also teaching you a ton about horror as well yeah you get to see a bit of him and then get to learn a lot too I love it. Love it so much. And I have loved this whole thing, Scott. Oh my gosh. So one thing I forgot to do at the beginning, because I was like an overly excited pony, could not be (laughs) contained, just took off right out the gate, is to kind of explain who you are and what you're all about. (laughs) I was too happy. So we will end with giving us a nice little Tell us what you're up to. Where can we find your work? What's going on on Kingslingers? All that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I guess if you reach this far into the the episode <laughs> and don't know what Kingslingers are, you're probably really confused. But basically, this was a an idea my friend and I had a few years ago, where I was in love with the Dark Tower series. He had never read it, and so I thought it'd be cool to do a really kind of close read, chapter by chapter analysis of the story from our differing perspectives, the perspective of someone who's read it a bunch before and perspective of someone who hasn't. So our first season, we did all that. Um, we did all eight Dark Tower novels um, and some of the related short stories. We were having too much fun. We came back for a season two and did the Dark Tower adjacent stuff. And then right now we're in our third season, which is just kind of throwing the pretense of the Dark Tower away and just saying we we want to talk about Stephen King more. So we're doing, kind of, I'm calling it like the greatest hits so basically what I've done is I've picked a, a book from each of the decades that King has been working in. And then I also picked a short story collection. I also picked a Bachman novel and I picked one of his crime novels. And so we're just going to work through those bit by bit. We did The Shining earlier. Um, we did The Long Walk. We did Night Shift for a short story collection. And right now we're reading It for the 80s. Um, and we're going to move into the 90s and Desperation in like October or November because <laughs> Our It series is like 19 episodes long. It's it's crazy. So yeah, I, I divide the books into like 70, 80 page chunks, which is enough to give you an, a lot to talk about, but not enough to where people feel like they have to read for hours and hours and hours each week. And we just go through it and, and chat about it. And I try to get Matt's opinion as we're going through the book about what he's thinking is going on here, the themes, how it's working on him. We're both just like really into understanding 
how stories work in that like I love the feeling that stories give me I love even when I'm mad even when I'm disappointed even when I'm upset about something it's like I read something that some guy made up and it made me feel that way how did it do that I want to know I want to understand how he did that um and so that's kind of the the thing we approach this to is is we have we have the saying we repeat a few times which is uh, a little facetious but we like saying it is the author is a genius and everything is intentional which is so like even if something's rubbing you the wrong way, approaching it from the perspective of like, oh, well, he wanted you to feel that way, or this is the way the story wanted you to do like, and it's not saying you have to like everything that you read. Obviously, we talked about some books that I, I didn't like here tonight, but um, that's the kind of idea we approach these stories to um, as we're analyzing them is like, he did this on purpose. That person said that on purpose. That person did that on purpose. What is the purpose? What, how does that reinforce the themes that he's going for, the tone, the mood? How, how does all this work? And we're having a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun doing it. I am such a huge fan, huge, huge fan of your show. And thank you guys for putting in all the wonderful effort that you do because it really shines so bright. And people like me listen to it and are nourished by it so thank you so very much for what you and matt do because i know it's a lot and <laughs> life happens and you're like ah i can't i'm gonna lose it and then <laughs> we just get these brilliant episodes that are so helpful and i think my love affair with king has deepened from some of your guys's work no thank you so much that's that's fantastic here and that's that's the goal right is that you know i think probably the people that listen to the show are already fans of King probably like I, I doubt you'd want to dive into a deep dive podcast if you never really read the guy before but but hopefully the idea is that like you love this guy and we would just want to help you understand why that is that, that that what that answer to that question is why 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 is he so good at this why do I like this writing and it's really helped me I mean that's ultimately we're, we're asking it for ourselves right we're not specifically to help other people it's just like I love this guy's writing and I want to know why and it's been it's been such a pleasure and, and we're so glad people are enjoying it. Yeah, I started this little show just talking to my empty living room because I feel that exact same way. So it's so nice to connect with others who are doing the exact same thing. But once more, thank you, Scott. Please come back soon. Bring your friend Matt. Tell him yeah. I don't bite. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we seriously need to have a conversation when you finish Dark Tower. I'm totally serious about that. We need, I, we're we going to need to talk about this stuff. <laughs> um, 1,000%. I will <laughs> blow up your life because I'm going to need to talk to somebody. I'm going to be like, excuse me, are you free at 2 a.m.? Can I, can I verbally process at whatever hour you're available? Oh, man. I you're in thought. for such a treat. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. And. It is an amazing journey thus far. It's bumpy. The first is yeah. bumpy. But then by the time you get to Wizard and Glass, I'm in it to win it. I really am. Great. Great. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah. No, thank you. This was absolutely fantastic. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That concludes my time with the wonderful Scott Daly from Kingslingers. 
Many thanks to Scott for being so rad and fun and bringing all his terrific intelligence and insight. Oh, so good. Please make sure you're all very much plugged into Doof Media and all things Kingslingers. There are links in the episode notes. But now, boys and girls, you must get ready for interview two. The very next episode is Kingslingers co-host, Matt Freeman. Please head there now to conclude this extra special Blue Moon new Stephen King novel constant reader interview extravaganza. Now hurry up and get I'm right behind you.